and then the Mona Lisa explodes <laughs> and reveals the title. Hello and welcome to The Cutdown, a podcast all about the art of trader editing. As ever, I am Rick Thomas. And I'm Derek Liu. This week we're going to be talking about graphics for traders and um, give a kind of brief history of that and uh, we'll have our first interview uh, with a graphic designer. Um, But first we wanted to talk about kind of the last couple of weeks in trailers and there was one thing I wanted to talk about which is an article that um, caused a bit of a furore a couple of weeks ago about the idea that Netflix were going to start automating their traders. Had you heard about that? No, I haven't heard of it, but did they describe at all how they're going to do that or how they plan to do that? Yeah, well, it was interesting. I guess I read the headline and I thought, oh, this is interesting. This is like, do you remember the film Morgan a couple of years ago? It was a film about AI. Um, No, I don't remember hearing about that. It was a character created by AI or an AI character that went mad. And Fox did a AI generated trailer. They said the first trailer generated, I think maybe it was generated by Watson or one big supercomputer kind of thing at the time. Um, And I think that was kind of revealed to be maybe the computer had selected the shots and the trailer editor had kind of put it together as well. But um, it was an interesting kind of marketing ploy for that movie. Nice to meet you, Morgan. Nice to meet you, Lee. And this uh, kind of struck me as a similar thing. I was thinking, how are they going to do it? And I think it turns out that basically it's to do with identifying, using computers and algorithm and I guess maybe even eye tracking and things like that to identify important elements or kind of, you know, recognizing certain characters. And it's almost in a way, from what I understand, helping with the breakdown because they have so much material. Mm. So they can like feed the feature film or a series into some sort of machine learning thing that will identify all the actors and things that look like action scenes based off of other information it has about action scenes maybe and then just sort them all basically like the like if you think about um uh like google photos where it identifies faces yeah Exactly. I I think it's that. And and you're right, that technology kind of exists. And even to the extent maybe of like pairing it up with the script and time codes to the point where, you know, maybe if they're doing the translations already, they can use that to isolate the, the dialogue lines. So if you're cutting a trailer for a streaming show, you don't have to go through all 10 hours of a show, you know. That's interesting. I mean, if it was used as a tool just to save time, uh, like you said, to, to a breakdown, that would be interesting. So it's not, yes, it's not exactly automating traders it's automating the trailer process which I'm all for I think maybe someone said that in iMovie there's a create trailer button yeah as far as I remember there's a template where there are places that you can drag and drop shots into and then it's the template has it already edited together with a certain type of music and then it'll just play your shots that you put into it but it's not necessarily like take all these shots and then hit the button you have to do a little bit of uh, just picking which shot goes where yeah, and, and sometimes to hilarious effect. I know I've got something on my phone where you put shots in and uh, it will put it to nice music and, and every once in a while there'll be like a screenshot of something random that is given the same weight as like a shot of my family. So I'm not sure the uh, computers are coming for our jobs just yet. Yeah, in my Photos app on my iPhone, I saw uh, something that said like, Derek's trip to Japan. I was like, oh, what is this? And it was one of those automated things. And one of the shots that comes up was like a bidet. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm obsessed with Japanese toilets. And yeah, it had big dramatic music. So yeah, I'd be curious to hear more about how that process goes with Netflix and uh, what becomes of it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they have so much content that you can see that they'll want to kind of streamline things as, as much as they can. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was that was an interesting thing. And then there were a couple of pieces um, that... Uh, that I wanted to talk about and, and something that you suggested. Um, and the first is the trader for Bombshell. Yes. We've talked about teaser traders before, and this had a great reaction online. People really reacted strongly to it. Um, and uh, why do you think that is? Just to give a little context first. So Bombshell is a new movie about um, the whole Roger Ailes sex, uh, sexual harassment scandal at Fox News with um, Megyn Kelly and Gretchen Carlson. Um, and yeah, so the trailer is like a scene lift uh, style teaser where it's just 
uh, Margot Robbie, Charlize Theron, and uh, Nicole Kidman getting into an elevator, and there's it's intercut with title cards. And yeah, it's just, it's very simple and it's mostly, you know, knowing looks between the characters as they're, they're sharing this moment. And I think it's just, it's really effective because there's a lot of just the, the subtext and the, the simmering tension through the whole thing. And then if you don't know exactly what's going on with these people, um, at the very end, there's a point of view shot out of the elevator. You can see that it's uh, the Fox News office, just in case. Uh, you didn't already know. Um, but I think it's probably getting a really good reaction because it says a lot with very little. Yeah, it's still kind of ambiguous as to what it's about. And I think, you know, people kind of responded to it in a kind of a bit of intrigue. And, you know, it was attaching a lot of importance to these three women in the elevator. Um, the music was great. Uh, minimal dialogue. You've got these great, like, Academy-nominated actors and they're called out as such. And I think people just responded because it created that sense of intrigue because there was so little going on. Yeah, and it's very much a pretty pure scene poll because a lot of times in a teaser, maybe there'll be a focus on one scene, but then they'll still have other things cut together in a montage. But this is just pretty much just one thing, just put very simply with the title cards explaining just a little bit of context. So their title cards saying, uh, based on the real scandal... Uh, what started with a whisper will end with a bombshell. And that's all the story uh, in addition to the, the images. So great copy as well. Yeah. And it could, all just, it could also just be a got a positive reaction because there's just an ongoing conversation on the internet about trailers and spoilers. And um, this one is just totally not that. Yeah, and uh, talking about things that um, do different form and actually talking about Netflix and their trailers, um, you suggested talking about the uh, trailers for Marriage Story. And I say trailers for a very specific reason. Yeah, so Marriage Story, it's a film starring Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Um, and it appears to be about a couple getting a divorce. And they what they did was they put out two teasers each from the perspective of each character. So one's an Adam Driver trailer and one's a Scarlett Johansson trailer. And the the format is the same where they're each talking about the other person, what they like about them. What I love about Nicole. Loving you. She's a great dancer. Infectious. She is a mother who plays, really plays. She gives great presents. And then it ends with the reveal that they're in court together um, and then showing that um, they're probably getting a divorce. And then there's just other, some other cool touches, like the, the song in the background for Adam Driver's version is a male singer, and Scarlett Johansson has a female singer. What I love about Charlie. Loving you. He loves being a dad. It's almost annoying how much he likes it. A little too he cries easily in movies. And I, I even went the extra step to see in premiere whether or not shots lined up, but it didn't. they didn't go that far. But it's just an interesting idea that it's uniquely um, a digital format because, you know, you couldn't do this in theaters unless you played them together because you can't just count on someone going to the theater enough times to catch both trailers somehow. But on Netflix, they can just sit together on that trailer page for the, the movie. Yeah, it's really interesting. Actually, that kind of reminds me, the in-theater thing reminds me of, um, I know for Man of Steel, they did a version that was, uh, I think, it was basically Superman's two dads. So there was a version with Russell Crowe narrating the trailer. You will give the people an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. In time, you will help them accomplish wonders. And uh, a version with um, Kevin Costner narrating the trailer. You're not just anyone. One day, you're going to have to make a choice. You have to decide what kind of man you want to grow up to be. 
whoever that man is, good character or bad, he's going to change the world. And I think that that was in theatres and maybe it, it was random to see in which theatre you got which version. It didn't really matter necessarily which version. It was kind of a cool Easter egg that, you know, story-wise it was, it was very similar. Whereas this is very much, they kind of work as a twosome and I think they're designed to be seen as such and, and kind of create interest around the fact that there are these two traders and and yeah it's it's the perfect netflix producing it is the perfect forum for this kind of interesting uh angle yeah and also it looks like a you know relatively low budget indie sort of film so uh they probably had more um maybe budget to to work with to do this sort of thing i don't that's just me speculating yeah it's interesting um one of the things we brought up when we were talking about graphics prior to doing this podcast was um people who have a kind of house style for graphics. And I was talking about how Woody Allen in every feature pretty much has the same kind of graphical style. And actually these cards in here have a very kind of Woody Allen kind of style. Um, And it's a relationship drama, um, yeah, kind of lowercase serif font kind of thing. Yeah, the sort of independent film, which looks like it's very actor-driven, tends to have a graphical style which is very minimal, where they just pick some very distinct typeface, uh, and there's very, very little flash, or you know, there's not going to be any lens flares in this sort of thing. Um, so it's just a style to signal, hey, prestige film uh, in many ways. Yeah, I, I think there was a, a comic video out a couple of years ago how every awards-worthy film used the font Trajan as well. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. Um, which is almost as good as the, I think it's the SNL sketch about um, why why James Cameron used basically papyrus, the standard font for Avatar. That you, You're crossing boundaries of technology, but you're basically using um, papyrus. Right. Which I think they've now fixed for Avatar 2. So, um, oh, did they? <laughs> they, they? They abandoned their, their, their brand that they created with papyrus for Avatar? Yeah, I think they've uh, I think they've just just kind of jazzed it up. Now they've got that um, Disney money, um, but yeah, graphics are a really interesting thing um, to talk about. I I kind of always say say that um, there are two main things we can do to kind of put our stamp on content um, as trailer editors and producers. And uh, one of the things, as we talked about before in depth, is music, and the other thing is graphics because you know you watch ten pieces in a row. Yes, you might appreciate how something was cut or the story or the narrative or the copy or something like that but music and graphics are the big kind of obnoxious takeaway things that you'll really associate with a trader yeah and graphics with a really strong art style can just really put this big stamp and just make this statement about this this film like one example that's fairly recent that really stood out to me was thor ragnarok um this is especially because you know the the marvel films all are shots generally in a way that they kind of match each other in terms of cinematography and color. And then the Thor Ragnarok trailer came out and it was this, um, I don't know, is it 80s, 70s, just really, really colorful rainbow colors. And that just immediately signals, okay, this is something totally different. And I mean, when I first saw that, uh, I just went, whoa, okay. It wasn't just the sort of uh, expected, you know, blockbuster film graphics with a, a, sm- a slow-moving lens flare on the bottom. It was just full of color, and it just made me just perk up and pay attention. Yeah, that was really interesting. They weren't kind of hiding what it was. They were really embracing the tone of the movie, and it felt big and bold and confident in a kind of post-Guardians of the Galaxy, which did similar Suicide Squad uh You talked about Mad Max Fury Road did a very kind of similar thing, and it's all these kind of big, bold, confident, eye-catching graphics that kind of lean into what the film is doing as opposed to kind of not being embarrassed of the movie but, you know, kind of trying to tone down the movie or something. Yeah, like I think a lot of movie trailer graphics don't draw a lot of attention to themselves. They just feel like they get the job done. But just every now and then, it's really cool to see big, bold graphics like the Fury Road where they fill the whole screen. There's very little negative space around each word. And, you know, on a technical level, they might not be necessarily that complicated, but uh, it just makes this big statement. And I guess also can just, uh, just give you a better idea of what sort of 
statement the the film is trying to make. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that that graphics can do to kind of do that and work with the film. Um, Obviously, typography and design is a big thing and whether they're leaning into what the print campaign is doing and it's all kind of integrated like that. Um, Then you have the animation of graphics, how they fit with maybe there's some sound design or a device in the movie that the graphics are kind of echoing or whether they're giving some energy to potentially quite a kind of static piece. Uh, And then there's how the shots are integrated as well, whether you're just kind of cutting to cards or whether you're using the footage in an interesting way and using a graphical device and freezing the shots and cutting out characters and doing big panic room style integrated 3D graphics in, in shots. Um, there's a lot you can do. I think pretty much every superhero TV spot when you get to reviews has kind of big in-situ graphics that the character's flying past or big kind of disaster movies do it as well where the big 3D graphics and helicopters will bash into them and everything would explode and, and we're kind of saying, leaning into that big event thing and, and saying, you know, this film's huge and when you get to a 30-second, 15-second TV spot, any time that you're looking at a graphic is time that you're not looking at shots. So why not do both at the same time and and it just looks huge right yeah i wonder if it is a sharp divide between the opening credits of panic room which if you haven't seen panic room uh the credits are basically 3d objects floating in the city uh as you're you're watching the movie um and yeah you'll see that in all sort of digital spots where there's interaction between the characters and the graphics which the first time i ever had a job that used that sort of thing was back when I was uh, assistant editor after college, we did some home video spots for, I think, V for Vendetta. And they they did some of that, like, like V's like jumping over the credits or like the knife goes over the credits. Um, and at the time, it was still relatively new, but now it's just you just it's it's been over ten years since then, and it's still going strong. Like every single thing has that. Like you said, so you can have graphics and the shot at the same time. So for your your work, do you have much input in terms of uh, graphic style, or do you just just hand it to the motion graphics artist and say do your thing that you think will be good, or how much input do you have in that process? It kind of varies, you know, the the graphics designers are amazing and they'll come in early and they'll have their own ideas based on reading the script and watching the movie and seeing potentially what the print campaign is doing. How I kind of tend to work with it is trying to think how I can integrate the graphics into the into the cut and it's a kind of back and forth you know for those in situ graphics that we're talking about before it's all very well me saying oh you know just put the text on this screen here and you send it to the graphics and they say that's absolutely impossible because there's particles and there's <laughs> you know it's it's 4d space and you know we we can't do this so sometimes it'll be kind of delivering them loads of shots and saying hey you know what about all this um they're part of the process as are copywriters and producers and um, and editors and um you know and they do some really great work but it's a an industry that goes back, you know, almost as long as trailers. You know, you think back to the 60s and the blob style, big kind of superimposed graphics there. Now this thing had killed the doc. What was it? Stop with it, kid. But it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a mass that keeps getting bigger and bigger. It. Every one of you watching this screen, look out. Because soon, very soon, the most horrifying monster menace ever conceived will be oozing into this theatre. You look at kind of Saul Bass uh, doing title scenes, but also doing kind of entire teasers, like he did a teaser for West Side Story that's very much in his kind of style. Um, Stanley Kubrick trailers like um, Clockwork Orange and um, Dr. Strangelove. Oh, uh, which are quite simply graphically, but the graphics are working really well with the editorial and stuff. You know, this is something that's been working for a long time. And also falling into that, you get 
graphical teaser trailers. So things like we always talk about South Park, Bigger, Longer and Uncut. It's probably the, the trailer we've talked about most. As we near the millennium, the tools for visual effects and animation are evolving at an exponential rate. This spring, Paramount Pictures is proud to present the latest technological achievement in film animation. The top animation minds from around the world have collaborated with the top foreign animators from Japan with a budget of over $630 million to bring you the most advanced animation ever seen by the human eye. I will do the German dance for you. It's fun and gay and tra-la-la. Hope you will enjoy my dance. Um, but that's a perfect example of a kind of graphical front working with a, reg- a rug pull. Um, I know you mentioned the Star Trek First Contact trailer. Yeah, there's the first teaser trailer for Star Trek First Contact has this shot where uh, it's a close-up of what appears to be a Borg cube, but then the camera keeps pulling back to reveal that it's actually a Star Trek insignia, like 3D Borg cube, essentially. Imagine a race of beings possessed of one mind, driven by one will, intent on one purpose to seize our past and control our future i'd love to know about the people who made that that particular trailer because it's really good um it's not a fake out because it is still a star trek movie about the borg but um it was just a way to you know, get you excited on multiple different levels. I know, like, when I saw it in theaters, I was like, oh, my God, Star Trek is going to be about the Borg! <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's that's a really big one that stood out. Um, also, uh, you have probably the, the biggest graphical teaser trailer of all time, which is the Da Vinci Code. Yes. Um, which is a perfect marriage of kind of content and just execution. And if you haven't seen it, it's a camera kind of panning through these caverns with inscriptions on the walls and an ominous voiceover kind of telling you about a great history that uh, a great mystery that's kind of hidden in society it is so powerful that men have died to protect it and there are those who would kill to expose it is a message that has been hidden for centuries. Right before our eyes. What if the world's greatest works of art held a secret that could change the course of mankind forever? And then you you pan out of the caverns and you realize that it's the cracks in the paint of the Mona Lisa and then the Mona Lisa explodes <laughs> and reveals the title <laughs> the Da Vinci Code it's that kind of thing it's so complicated and involved that the client would have had to buy in really early in the process to kind of execute it and I wonder if it's maybe they did it because the book was huge maybe they did it before they'd shot anything um, if they had shot something I'm I, hats off to them for kind of seeing it through because it works really well yeah, that's that is also one benefit of making a teaser that's based off of graphics is that you can get started basically as soon as you want to make one. Another good example is the which one is it? The Dark Knight Rises or just the Dark Knight? You cross the line first, sir. You hammered them, and in their desperation, they turned to a man they didn't fully understand. Some men aren't looking for anything logical. They can't be bought, bullied reasoned or negotiated with some men just want to watch the world burn actually both of those films had had a kind of graphical device the dark knight just the dark knight had the kind of bat signal being revealed by kind of smoke and beams of light and then um eventually kind of i think again exploding into a yes joker card and then dark knight rises had the bat signal kind of carved out of a cityscape as somewhat as you were looking up yeah and i wonder because the the dark knight rises also had that for the the poster i wonder if those were con- conceived together or if one came before the other that'd be interesting to find out 
Yeah, I really like when those kind of things are integrated and it's kind of my me with my marketing head on, but I like things being consistent and working together and fitting uh, in, in terms of the campaign. I remember being really confused when I was a kid that Reservoir Dogs, the movie, had a different title card to the print campaign, which had been everywhere. It's this amazing, iconic British print campaign with the white and splashes of red, which again was different from the domestic, but growing up in England, I'd seen that. And I, I guess I was a bit disappointed when I watched the movie and it was a different font. I was like, come on, let's <laughs> be consistent. And I was probably like 15 at the time. So that's really interesting. So I've ended up in the right industry. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even know. Yeah. Um, but I think. Uh, you know, it's really interesting now, um, you know, we've got these big kind of 3D graphics like Post Transformers, which had these incredible like title cards made out of thousands of, you know, as many bits as the Transformers were, you know, these big kind of huge spiky trailer graphics. <laughs> yeah, so it's a really interesting time. We've got that and, um, you know, more and more stuff's getting made because, again, digital is a really big part of, um, I think, where graphics are going because you've got so much more content. Everyone watches it mute. You need interesting ways of doing subtitles and um, entire kind of footage almost becomes less important. There's brilliant um, Instagram ads where they take the standard frame of Instagram, but they kind of pretend that you're seeing two things and with the kind of almost the, the text and the, the Instagram tagged text in between the two fake images and then they'll kind of have elements of the film like someone jumping from one picture to the other right so it'll it'll look like it's happening on your instagram screen basically right yeah exactly um and then there's there's brilliant things like using instagram stories to kind of go forward three things so digital content but all of that kind of is in a a graphical way and i think the the boundaries between what was traditionally print and um digital and graphics is all kind of blurring as more and more stuff gets made yeah that's super cool um what do you do uh for your um for your graphics so to be completely honest part of the reason that i pick a lot of the games that i work on is because i know that the majority of the time they don't need graphics <laughs> because so I'm like decent with After Effects. I've taken several After Effects classes and I've even taken some online design classes because I realized that the design part is really, really the core of it. And then adding the motion is also, you know, it's a big part of it too, but without good design, then the graphics won't look good at all. Um, but even still at this point, I just try to take projects where I don't have to do a lot of fancy graphics. And it's a little bit similar to movies where you'll have games which um, maybe the subject matter is more serious. Uh, it's less, um, you know, blip bloop sort of video gamey games. So then the graphics that you would need for that sort of trailer would just be something simpler, like a really good typeface, which might already just be part of the game's design. So, for example, like a game like Firewatch for the Accolades trailer, which I didn't do the graphics, uh, my friend Jake did them, but those were just a very simple title treatment, or uh, Heaven's Vault was also some sort of serif font. Um, so I'm like not super good at doing graphics. Uh, and at this point, I'm just trying to get maybe higher budgets so then I can get someone to do them for me because I know that they'll do an infinitely better job than I can. Um, I don't know. I saw, a, I saw one of your trailer breakdowns and you'd, I think you'd got the layered artwork and kind of put, a, you know, put it into a kind of 3D environment and, and it, you know, it looked pretty good to me. <laughs> Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I'll do a little bit of that here and there. If, say, there's some sort of scene in a game, like, for example, Splunky 2, um, there's like a scene with like a cave where there's layers of, uh, you know, the, the mouth of a cave versus the rocky background. And then I can just add some like falling rocks or something like that. But in terms of sophisticated trailer graphics, they're relatively simple. Like my friend Kurt Gartner, who's like a VFX background, is like really, really good at making really shiny, amazing looking graphics, which I'm like, if you want that, hire him, not me. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, I always kind of rough because I don't like to, to bother people until I've kind of decided what I'm doing and I'm kind of trying lots of things out. So I'll often rough out graphics or if I'm merging shots or freezing things, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of get as far as I can within the Avid. 
Um, but generally, it looks terrible, and then I'll give it to graphics and say, hey, make this look good, um, which is a good segue to our first interview. So um, I sat down with Hal Forstrom, uh, who's a, an amazing graphics designer, and, um, and here he is. Okay, I'm here with Hal Forstrom, who is a, uh, what is, what exactly, what are you? Um, I'm an art director in motion graphics. So how did you get into AV marketing? Well, I began actually trained as a traditional 2D animator. Uh, That's what I studied, hand-drawn animation. And when I moved out to Los Angeles, it was very shortly after Shrek redefined the animation industry, and it became very cutthroat to... uh, find positions in traditional animation. And after several years of bouncing around that industry, I was at a point where I needed something a little more stable. And I actually had a number of friends in the motion graphics industry who suggested just trying it out for a bit to have a little more stable work. And I took a shine to it and it became a really good fit both uh, creatively and uh, really haven't looked back since. Did you go straight into trailers or was it motion graphics or other Um, stuff? Trailers pretty much straight off. I began mostly working on home entertainment stuff and then kind of worked my way up the tiers into uh, theatrical marketing and then as the industry changed everything that kind of goes along with that. So when did you realize that trailer... Like, as a film fan, like, when did you realize that trailers were done by companies and people? Like, did, did, were you already pretty aware? Because for me, I was, like, totally naive. And uh, the minute I got a job at a trailer house, I was like, oh, it's not done by the director, you know. I was really interested in the Hollywood machine from a young age because of just loving movies. So I probably read about it in some of the trade magazines, like Premiere and Entertainment Weekly, that you could get in suburban Massachusetts. So I think probably sometime around high school, the idea began fostering in my mind that, oh, this is an industry. I don't think I expected to end up in that industry, perhaps. And I certainly had my eyes opened quite a bit once I did get into it. How would you define trader graphics as a thing? Or or is that even the right term? I don't like... Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, I think there is an entire realm of motion graphics that do exist in the service of some sort of advertisement for a piece of content, whether it's a movie or a digital series or a video game. And the graphics really, whatever they are, whatever form they take, they're always sort of working in tandem with that editorial to enhance the overall experience for the viewer. Is there more consideration for you guys? And this might be something that's changed. Like, how does fitting in with the print campaign come into graphics? I like to think that every job is a unique experience. I think it's one of the most attractive aspects of this industry is that no two jobs are necessarily alike. And sometimes you have this experience where uh, the print campaign drives the entire campaign, the theatrical experience for the marketing or vice versa. And sometimes there are clients who do want that kind of a unified uh, branding. Uh, Sometimes it's a very different thing. You have clients who are very aware of print as its own entity and want the AV marketing uh, visuals from the graphics to kind of exist in their own way that takes the most advantage of what animation and motion in graphics can do versus perhaps a static print piece that has its own visual uh, effect. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's kind of like, it's kind of similar to editorial that sometimes the editorial will inform the print and sometimes the print will inform the editorial and the graphics because there's this amazing copy line or something. So I guess it's kind of organic. I mean, the interesting thing about graphic design when you really get to what is, I think, the skeleton of what uh, we do in this industry is a logo that looks amazing as this big 3D metal thing with light moving over it on screen in a theater or on a, uh, on a device might not read as clearly when you need that instant viewing on a, on a print piece. So sometimes you will need to have a flatter, solid color. It, it's an interesting thing to realize 
sometimes logos, even if it's the same logo, the treatment has to be unique so that you get the maximum impact. To that point, do you think stuff has changed in the app? I mean, obviously digital is a, a huge thing for kind of motion graphics. Is readability now an issue in terms of people watching stuff on their phones? Yeah, it really is. I mean, I think you have to design with digital in mind now a little bit more than perhaps we used to because often people will get their first impression on a phone or a tablet uh, not even on a big screen of a television or their desktop computer, which is what, when movie trailers started being something a little more accessible. I remember The Matrix Reloaded was like the first trailer all of my roommates and I waited for the download to get. And we were just in anticipation for, I think, like a 320p like video. That took a day to yeah. download. It was an yeah. event to, to get that video clip. And now we have marketing pieces that uh, might just pop up as a banner ad. So you do have to think, what is that maximum impact a lot? And there are some logos where it might be this brilliant looking thing in print form, but in motion, uh, you need to do something to really make it pop. Right, and the editors never put the cards on for long enough, right? <laughs> Sometimes they put them on for too long, you know? Like, yeah, we, gotta, yeah, yeah. we gotta really milk those graphics need, out so uh, they look good for eight or ten seconds. Yes, yeah, I need ten seconds of like, oh, that's fine, right? The render time is the same <laughs> for two seconds and ten seconds. It's really funny that, though. I mean, like, you know, there, there are these sort of, I think every motion graphics artist dreams of the 15-second title reveal where they can really linger all over this huge object and yet uh, editorially i don't think it really serves a lot of pieces where you have so much great content to drive the editorial you don't really need that aspect of the graphics in the same way unless it really serves some purpose in your cut it's interesting do you think that um motion graphics for traders tend to be compared to editorial and things like that, where we can be a bit kind of rougher as we go, you know, we're working with offline material. Do you think there's more pressure to, for it to be kind of leap straight to the final polished thing, as opposed to looking at wireframes of a 3D? And I think it depends. I mean, I do think there is an aspect of motion graphics. Now we have this amazing ability to create these very high quality uh, visuals and there is an expectation to have those be really polished and slick but you also have to be sensitive to uh, not overshadowing the, uh, the the film that you're doing you really need to design graphics that serve whatever that end result could be and more often than not the interesting thing is some visual aspects that you fall in love with along the way may not really suited as much it's similar to editorial that like i always say that what we do is try to reflect the film and that's harder to do at that early stage like you're saying where you kind of have to make some leaps to to kind of get something concrete because you're not sure tonally where things are going um, but then that becomes clearer kind of as you go and you you hope that where you were like <laughs> yeah at the teaser trailer stage is where the film actually ends up and and if it's a perfect bit of synchronicity it um it does and you know to that point uh i always joke especially with more junior artists starting out that bad animation takes a very long time to create good animation takes that much longer and often i think the toughest thing i face and a lot of artists face is you can invest a lot of time into motion graphics for something and generally you know it's not working but you're trying to figure out how to really take it to that next step so that it it really knocks it out of the park and sometimes we need that client feedback to take that step away and see the forest for the trees and yes yeah, it's, it's easy to get close to stuff in this job and you have to have yeah. a kind of you have to have a, a thick skin and um so is that part of your process that maybe like taking a step back and doing kind of style frames and saying like okay here's 10 quick examples you know trying to get in tune with the client and and saying kind of okay is it this kind of thing because you know for a lot of big films you can really lean into what it's doing or you can try and kind of rein it in or you know there's a, there's probably a spectrum of stuff yeah i mean i think style frames which are basically just explorations of looks, uh, treatments, 
different types of materials or textures, whether it's flat, 3D, that's all great because I think it really helps create both a relationship with the client and also gives you sort of a foundation when you do begin moving forward to develop off of. The thing that's interesting is I I do think there's sort of a sweet spot between too many frames where you just sort of overwhelm the creative process with so much stuff and too few where it seems like you're kind of narrowly defining what uh, a film or a series or a game can be. And I think finding that balance is kind of the trickiest thing as you... I'm also saying, you know, we believe in this as opposed to being like, you know, putting our hands up and saying like, we have no idea. Here's like 20 things. See what you, you know, as opposed to kind of like, okay, here's the spectrum, but actually we really think it could be this. Yeah. So as a motion graphic designer, what is the one thing that you look at that you're like, I wish I did that? So the one that I wish I'd done on the most purely... Uh, selfish level was the uh, 2014 Godzilla. I just felt like it was knocked out of the park on every level. Like it was so unexpected in a way and so right visually. I thought it was a very apocalyptic looking visual and it kind of evoked Japanese uh, printmaking with the typesetting and the mood and had this sort of grainy quality that almost suggested like an old 50s film print. So that's one that I admire and am a, a little bit jealous of. You know, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I felt like I, uh, I wish I'd had a chance, but uh, as a fan of something, I'm not sure I would have come up with whatever led to that end result because I probably would be too invested in what I think uh, something like that should be versus the right uh, approach. So if anything, that's something that I always go back to when I'm trying to find a creative process to come up with something unique and original. Like, what's that sort of out-of-the-box approach that uh, really elevates the material or gives a different appeal than just what, say, the fans would want? Are there any other traders um, that you think really stand out graphically? Yeah, I mean, I love the trailer for In Bruges. Maybe that's what hell is. The entire rest of eternity spent in Bruges. Back off, shorty. You don't know karate. Ah. Where they use sort of like this combination of like uh, hellish uh, medieval uh, imagery in this very cut out paper kind of way where it's this three dimensional collage. And I remember seeing that trailer and just thinking, wow, that is a really bold uh, thing. I want to see this movie now. Mm-hmm. Um I really loved the uh, the graphics for Rise of the Planet of the Apes um, because I have a real soft spot for noir lighting and uh, raked shadows. And I felt like I loved the way that they used 3D type to create this very elongated shadow that revealed Planet of the Apes. And, you know, you knew it was coming, but the first thing you see is Rise of the... And then it sort of slowly drifts back in space. And as it lands, the shadow cast by that first read kind of sucks back to reveal the full logo. And it's this very elegant, noiry visual that I think really made it feel like this was going to be a very prestigious thing when you are dealing with brands that have existed for a long time, uh, such as Godzilla, James Bond, uh, Transformers. Uh, and even Fast and the Furious, you know, you have these franchises that have multiple installments and you have to find a new way to not feel redundant. And that was a great example of really staking a bold new claim on that reimagining of the, the franchise. But also, yeah, I mean, all the, all the materials were very much in that kind of like serious, take yeah. it dramatic. It was all very confident because mm-hmm. the film was great. Yeah, that's one I loved. Um I loved the graphics and rock and roll, the Guy Ritchie uh, film. In the film or the The, the trailer? uh, The trailer for the film had, I believe they used what ended up being the title sequence of the film for some of it. But even in the film, it had this really punky, aggressive integration of type that was just really cool. And it it really made that feel like a special uh, movie. 
What's crazy is how ahead of its time that trailer kind of was, because when I was re-watching it, I didn't have the sound on, and those graphics of the type saying rock and roll when the characters are all, this sort of montage of them all saying that phrase. But that's something as we go into digital, we have to deal with, which is creating these this content where you have footage, but people don't have the sound on, and you need to create type-based stuff. And I had the sound off, and I still was getting the gist of that trailer, which is really interesting to me that even back then, that was working in a way that has led to a lot of new content now. They call a real rock and roller. Rock and roller. Rock and roller. Rock and roller. Yeah, so kind of subtitles. Yeah. Increasingly, you need subtitles, but you don't just want to do subtitles in a conventional way. Well, probably because they'll be too small, right? Right, exactly. And And you want to do something visually interesting. I mean, the the most interesting thing about how all of this has changed is the fact that you have to kind of work in not just this horizontal. It used to be, is it going to be like 185 or scope or... Are we setting the type to work within this film aspect ratio? Now you have to take into account squares for digital and even vertical for, you know, different social media uh, platforms, which is a challenge, but also kind of an exciting, uh, exciting challenge. Yeah, it's also a kind of power shift from us to you because uh, <laughs> yeah. people don't like things to be too cutty for that kind of thing and, and people really like strong graphical pieces. So I, I really think that's an interesting kind of area to as we move away from, I think it's, what is it, the best Snapchat ad is basically a motion poster yeah. or some form of, you know, like people don't want to see a montage of 10 shots in six seconds. People want to see like one solid image that they can kind of relate to. I mean, it's funny because I remember when I was in film school, our teacher when we were doing we were literally burning in the type and backlighting it to make our title cards on 16 millimeter film Uh, and we were told to kind of buffer around i think two seconds a word so that people got the read or make sure that the read is up so that people have the time to read and i'm not sure this is something i'd love to know from you what you think is sort of the like amount of time that is really necessary for a viewer to really take in the words on screen yeah it's interesting we have we have kind of limits for the amount of words because you know we're looking at copy and i don't think you want to go kind of above five words per card because it gets kind of really unless you're doing something interesting where it's all kind of you're really building a graphic where it's kind of revealing slowly and then you can have more but i I think the general rule is people read a lot slower than you imagine so you probably need to double the time well we're also looking at this stuff day in and day out over and over i think we always have to take into account there's going to be someone who gets their first viewing of it you know which is always something i have to remind myself of i think we basically have to remind ourselves that the people's first viewing of stuff is square yeah on instagram mute (laughs) (laughs) this is how we're going what kind of speaks to you more as a as a designer i guess kind of similar to editorial it's the more conscious editorial that gets people's attention so the minute we thought about talking about trader graphics my mind immediately goes to entirely graphical teasers I mean, I, I think it's really interesting as the industry's changed and the Da Vinci Code teaser, for example, is one of the last almost purely graphic teasers that has no footage whatsoever really in it. And now it seems like, you know, even the biggest budget movies can get some shots done in time. So you don't have to kind of tease out these these things as much as perhaps you used to and and the da vinci code teaser i I think that's one of the most brilliant graphic pieces anyone's ever done in marketing and it's part of a legacy of uh great graphical teases that existed in this theatrical world and now things have changed a bit more where you you can put those stars up front visually you can kind of or you need to yeah because of attention spans you know i don't know though i we've gone through a couple of years of getting the stars front and central and saying that maybe instead of a kind of graphical reveal it's better to put the stars out there and actually show footage that you know showing footage is is better than any any kind of graphical thing and i think actually the reaction to the bombshell trailer that um that uh, came out recently is really interesting that 
I think it kind of signals that people are ready to have less. Yeah. We we talk about it a lot on the podcast about how people don't like seeing too much and they and they talk about spoilers and things like that and actually a real artful minimal piece and I do think I I kind of feel like there will be a, more of a resurgence of getting back to those kind of a graphical element and true teasers as opposed to a two minute thirty teaser that's basically a regular trader you know yeah and i think i think one of the things that goes along with that point is the fact that now graphics have to be part of that getting you back into the piece it's interesting that suddenly you know really interesting typography and bold color choices are back in vogue you want something that perhaps is a little anachronistic to what the piece might be so that it gets you back in you know that pop of color or that kind of edgy design is suddenly an asset because it reignites your attention or it presents another angle. And I think that's a really amazing quality that graphic design does add. Uh, Just the right choice of fonts tells a story or creates a narrative that isn't simply there from watching actors on a screen. I think that's the exciting part too, is that uh, so many people in this industry and motion graphics come from very different backgrounds. I've known print people who got into motion graphics, musicians who got into motion graphics, editors who got into motion graphics, uh, animators like myself who came from actually hand-drawing stuff. And it's this great melting pot of different creative processes and approaches that leads to uh, kind of the, the alchemy magic of it. There, there were shorthands for a long time in motion graphics. If you were going to do a comedy, a kid's comedy, I mean, right. it was going to have a certain blocky type with an extrusion. If you were doing a comedy All comedy. Red and, basically a red and white. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was nothing like getting the old uh, uh, white extrusion with a red face for a comedy Every kind of thing. Every slamming on for yep. like five frames. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was just sort of it, it was a shorthand, you know, uh, that worked and people knew what it meant. They knew they were seeing comedy if that came on uh, and it was comfortable. But now I think the gates have opened a little wider and there's a little more opportunity to be, not that those shorthands aren't valuable. It's always good to have a foundation to push back against and and even subvert. I mean, I, mean, I was going to say, you can, you can play with that. Like, I think that kind of speaks to just people being more willing to take some risks. I just mentioned on the podcast that, um, you know, Trajan was Mm -hmm. a thing for years for like every dramatic thing and every film. And actually now people are more prepared to take risks. But um, I mean, the thing is Trajan worked because it's a beautiful typeset. I mean, it really is a beautifully designed font and it has a, an elegant quality that again, I think is appealing and comfortable. And, uh, I'm sure there will be the right time for someone to use that in a way very unexpected that is going to bring it back in vogue. I actually, as unpopular as it might be, I love that Avatar used papyrus just because (laughs) it was a bit of a joke of a font for a while in some regards. Like I remember trying to use it for fantasy things and being told, no, you can't, you can't go there. And then here's the biggest film of all time. Yeah. It was kind of confident to just, this is what it's going to be. This embodies for better or worse. We're going to commit to this and put this out there. And it was distinctive. And it really did brand that movie to the extent that it could have a joke of its own on SNL. So what you're saying is there's still time for Comic Sans. Comic Sans will have its day in the sun. I don't know. (laughs) There's enough comic book movies. Something's got to, it'll have its day in the sun for sure. Yeah, we can do it. Avatar 2, there's still time. Um, so um, lastly, are there any tips for people looking to get into the industry? Like what can people do now? Obviously, you know, things like software are going to be more kind of accessible than they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago. What, what can people be doing at home to, if, they, if they've got an idea that they might want to do this? If this is an industry that you want to get into, there are absolutely things you can do from home to just begin uh, understanding it. I mean, the first thing you can do is really just learn a little bit about graphic design. That's the fundamental thing. And as simple as it might seem, readability and a good choice of typeface and typesetting to really deliver a visual 
uh, in a very short amount of time is important. That's really the first thing I tell everyone is just get good at choosing your fonts and setting your type in a way that is bold and readable. The second is to really, I think, get a fundamental understanding of color theory. That's something that not not enough people, I think, put emphasis on. And uh, it's amazing how different the impact of the color red on white or black is than, say, yellow or blue. And then you get into the entire range of colors that mix from those primaries. And uh, basic color theory goes a long way to understanding how you can create palettes that have an impact. And often I see a lot of black and white uh, monochromatic stuff, which is cool. I mean, it, it works. It's the, it's the OG. Yeah. It's the OG uh, color. But, but um, that's like, shift. you know, that's print. And you really need to understand the power of uh, using color, even if it's selectively putting that one color to pop in, you know. Uh, I think really understanding color theory is a important thing. Before you get into then just learning After Effects and learning Adobe Illustrator and getting a kind of baseline understanding of 3D programs such as Cinema 4D, which is a bit of the industry standard for motion graphics. At the end of the day, though, more often than I've, I've joked, my dream project would be to sell an entire movie without one word of dialogue, just like abstract visuals, because, uh, you know, type is the foundation of what we do. There are two things that really like as a kind of not outsider to it, because I kind of work within graphics, but I'm, I'm a kind of slightly slightly more distance, I guess, than, than you are being at the coalface of it. I was thinking, you, you mentioned that. Do you remember the Apple ad from a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. Blink, where they like roll through the text and, it's, and you're reading more than you would ever like imagine. That's really, yeah. like, that really stuck with me. And I think I've seen some, some, some traders do that since that point. Um, and also when you were talking earlier about people coming in with, um, with different backgrounds and different skills, I was thinking of the trader for Madeline's Madeline mm, yeah. uh, that came out this last year. And it's this beautiful, I think they basically got a visual artist to kind of, uh, who did that kind of the animation. You gotta, you gotta check it out. It's this kind of paper cut out, very tactile kind of trailer. I think it was a visual artist who did that and somehow they made the connection because the film doesn't necessarily do that, but it really got, got people's attention. Yeah. That's a brilliant piece of, uh, just visuals. I don't, I won't even say marketing. That just stands on its own two feet as a, we, we talk about how, <laughs> theatrical marketing and trailers become almost these mini movies now. And Mm -hmm. and I think that's a great example. That's practically like an experimental short film unto itself. It's brilliant. I'm seconding that one. You should go look up Madeline's Madeline (laughs) trailer right now on YouTube. Um, But there's no, to to go back then to what I was saying about where to start though. uh, That's just like 101. The the important thing is to like experiment and uh, both. I think, I think one of the things I encourage people with an interest in this field is to look at some motion graphics they like, whether it's, you know, something as complicated as the true detective title sequence or the transformers, uh, crazy logos that reform or or even a trailer, like a a trailer graphic that you really like that already exists. Try to recreate that uh, yourself. However it is, because often you'll, you might not, nailed the first time but you'll learn something along the way and you have a goal to reach you know it's like nobody bakes the best cake ever on the first try you learn how to bake a cake and there's just all this content out there to look at i mean if you like comic book movies you could look at any number of things that i mean what there were 66 comic movies since iron man uh, alone uh, so you could try to recreate any number of those and get a pretty good feel for very successful things. If you like more independent dramas, you could look at some of those more highbrow A24 style designed things. Uh, there's a great trailer for the lighthouse that came out that has almost, it almost looks like old school, like optically printed graphics. And I really admired how restrained that was and how effective it was for that piece. So I think just after you learn the fundamentals of design, then try to apply it and see how far you can get. I'll I'll never forget when I first started in this industry, 
there was this look that when I was seeing movie trailers, there was always these, always these rays of light coming off the type. And I remember spending uh, days trying to recreate that effect and, and I never got it looking right. You know, it always looked kind of half-assed and janky. And finally, when I was in a real shop with people who've been doing this for, you know, over a decade, I finally got to ask the question, how do you do that? Look, that's, it must be the hardest thing ever. And the response was, oh, that's a plug-in. You, you, put, you put this plug-in on the type and it puts those rays and you can say how long you want the rays. And I, and I must have spent a full day of my time trying to create that look at one point. And uh, it was both uh, disheartening and really uh, exciting because I was like, oh, I mean, there's a reason you see it in all these marketing pieces. And then it no longer was this high watermark to achieve. The bar kind of got a little lowered so I could try to aspire to different levels of quality you know it, it it opens up a lot of doors but at the same time i trying to create that weird effect on my own i learned limits of certain things and learned some other processes that probably saved me from making those mistakes again later so you know there's there's no real bad way to learn cool all right. Well, uh, that's some, some great advice for starting out. And uh, thank you very much for being our first interview interview subject on the on the podcast. You, you spoke much more eloquently about motion graphics than I ever could. So oh. um, thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure to just talk about this industry. So thanks to Hal for um, talking to us. We actually had a question on the uh, on Twitter, um, kind of that, that ties into graphics. Uh, yeah, this is from Ben Anthony. He's saying, I'd be interested to hear about studio logos. What do you think about changing the look of a logo to better suit the film? For example, change the color or referencing the film itself. Uh, this one springs to mind. And he linked uh, a GIF of the Marvel Studios logo disintegrating, which was used for the first Avengers Endgame teaser. Yeah, and I, I think the, the simple answer to that is, yeah, it's brilliant. And again, like I said, anything that we can do to kind of put our stamp on it and maybe get that studio executive to say wow that's that's clever and 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 to to kind of hopefully like the trailer more and also kind of integrate it i feel like maybe the general public look at it and go oh that's kind of clever or it's integrated or you know it's never easy to cut to logos anyway so the more you can kind of integrate it into the general style of the movie the better um i remember i i I worked a lot for universal and we were always trying because it's a globe you know we were always trying to do something interesting um i've i've seen it i've seen it be a moon uh countless times even before the uh, dark universe um one time i saw it was a tennis ball that got hit by a big tennis racket oh that's good um i guess it kind of goes back to um uh there's an indiana jones film where it goes from the paramount logo to um to the hill yeah, or I think opening of Raiders is like that. Yeah, opening of Raiders, and then I think they do it to an anthill in um, Crystal Skull as well. Yeah, I think just like I was talking about with Thor Ragnarok, just changing the look of the logo is just another way of telling the audience, like, yo, pay attention. We we spent more money on this one. We we paid We paid more attention and decided to make something really special. So like Warner Brothers, I can think about examples like for The Matrix, the first Matrix film. Uh, or I think probably all of them, you know, that's like green treated and glitchy looking. Or um, I remember 300 had custom logos. They, so they looked very stone and chipped away and like red. Yeah, I think for Kingsman, the Golden Circle, the the um, 20th Century Fox thing was more gold. Um, I also like as well when they uh, redo the theme songs. I remember for Scott Pilgrim versus the world, um, they, did the, uh, they did the Universal fanfare in a kind of, 8-bit style uh, and then is it a Moulin Rouge they do it there's a there's literally a, compo- a composer conducting I mean these are these are more kind of feature examples but um, often it's kind of you know if it's the kind of film where they're doing it for the logo for the film then it's probably the kind of film where you'd want to do it for the trailer as well as much as possible yeah I think Lego Movie also did a, like a Lego Warner Brothers uh, logo that would make sense uh, in terms of games it's not 
really done much. The thing that comes to mind is back in the day, LucasArts would always customize their logo for their games, which back then, actually, when LucasArts was around, they probably didn't, they barely had trailers. But when those games booted up, they had that. But to continue that tradition, um, Double Fine Productions does the same thing where they have a custom logo for all their games or even the games that they um, publish. So, for example, um, recently, the game Knights and Bikes came out, and they have a special logo just for that game. But other than that, I can't think about... I'm trying to think like if something like Ubisoft or uh, Activision would have something custom, but it's not really coming to mind. I guess maybe some of those logos are kind of less iconic, unless you're kind of looking at, you know, Sega or Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, I think so. They're, they're less of an institution. And then Nintendo, they're just very uh, strict about the presentation of their you know first party elements so i don't think they would allow anyone to do that and uh even just for themselves they were just uh not really <laughs> okay so that was our chat about um graphics we'll be back in uh we'll be back in two weeks thanks for listening um yes as always you can contact us at cutdown at idlethumbs.net and we're on twitter at cutdowncast and i'm at derek underscore lou and i'm at rick thomas and we're part of the idle thumbs network uh, you can also join us on the Idle Thumbs forums for further discussion of this episode. And if you can, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends. Um, and also, our, we want to give a special thank you to our friends at Twisted Jukebox for our intro music. And that's it. See you next time. Cool. Yeah, we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>